Hey everyone, welcome back to the Online Course Master Show where you learn how to create, sell, and grow an online course business of your own. My name is Phil Ebener and I'm here today with Jeremy Deegan, my co-host extraordinaire. And we have an exciting five questions episode today. This is another episode where we answer your questions directly submitted from course, creator, ju- course creators just like you. So first, welcome back to the show, Jeremy. How's it going? Good, man. Uh, just celebrated Memorial Day weekend in the U.S. Had a three-day weekend with the kids and the family and got to grill out and have some water playtime. So it was a lot of fun. How about you? Nice. That's uh, That sounds awesome. As you can probably hear from my voice, I'm getting over a cold myself. And uh, we were, my whole family, the boys, Isabel, we were all sick over the weekend, which was a bummer because it was also my younger brother's high school graduation, actually. Um, so he, we had to miss that, which was a bummer. But um, my parents are going to be empty nesters pretty soon. And so <laughs> I think they're really excited about that. And um, yeah, just uh, getting over this cold. But it's uh, wanted to get in here for this episode because uh, it's tough to get, find time and to get together and do these episodes. But we got to make sure we do it for the listeners. So um, well, I, I think yeah. you make a good point. You know, there's never really a good time to do some of this stuff, you know, teaching online, online courses. You just got to gotta do it when you can do it sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no. And I, and honestly, I feel pretty good. It's just I got a little stuffy nose. And so, <laughs> but we're going to do it. And um, so we got five questions today from a, a good range of questions about all sorts of different things. Some really specific ones, some more general ones. And uh, well, let's just get into it. Yeah, for sure. So the first question we have comes from Kareen Zutem, and it is asked, what is the best advanced quiz app we can use in a course compatible with Teachable? Mm, yeah, that was that's a good question. I had to do a little bit of research myself because I didn't know off the top of my head. I personally don't use quizzes in my courses on Teachable. There are a few options that I found. One is just if you have an, I don't think the basic plan with Teachable, but if you have an upgraded professional plan with Teachable, they have its own quiz option. And it's pretty basic. You can just add questions. um, You can grade them. And so that's just the the self, the Teachable option. Uh, Kareen asked added some information they were wanting to have a quiz feature that allowed them to not only grade the student but also have like answers like if if someone answered a question wrong it would then pop up and refer them to the correct the the lecture or something that they should watch and that's actually a feature that's built into udemy if uh, you've used the udemy quiz feature um, that's just a an option which when you're creating your quiz you can type in a response to pop up if they get it wrong which isn't an option with that teachable feature which is kind of a bummer Um, and to be honest I haven't really found a perfect solution that's easy for Kareen or anyone wanting that kind of option there are two other integrations that you can use one is called Vizia Vizia Vizia.com co i believe v-i-z-i-a.co 
And that's an integration we'll include in the show notes uh, for this episode, which is episode 89. So at onlinecoursemasters.com slash 89, the um, support document that Teachable has for adding question quizzes using Vizia, which is kind of a cool option. It allows you to add questions and polls actually within the video itself. So instead of having a separate lecture, it... Um, you can have like a video be playing and then in the video, a question will pop up. So it creates a very engaging type of video, which is pretty cool. But again, it doesn't have that feature of of um, supplying more information if they get the answer incorrect. The other and the last option that I was looking in, into was another website called, called Quizmaker. And Quizmaker can be integrated with Teachable, but it has to be done with Zapier. So zapier.com is another sort of automation website that we've talked about in the past. Um, there's lots of integrations you can do, but you can basically connect Quizmaker and Teachable. Um, and uh, it allows you to basically embed a Quizmaker quiz and Quizmaker has a lot more options. So quizmaker.com, it's quiz-maker.com. Again, this will be in the show notes. There are a lot of different settings and you can um, do things like adding comments, which would allow you to add sort of more information to a question if they get it wrong. Now, the easiest way, the easiest thing I think you would do um, would be to just use the teachable quiz option itself. And then that's just a feature when you're adding a lecture, you can add a you can add a quiz question and then you could add some text actually. So you can add custom text that says like if you got this question wrong, refer to lecture two. Um, and that's probably the simplest thing. It wouldn't pop up after you get a question wrong, but um, you could have like the quiz broken up into um, multiple sections and between each section have some text with more references or resources or um, have like one long quiz with a bunch of questions and then um, have like the, all the references at the bottom of the lecture. So I know that's kind of hard to visually see. Again, we'll include links to those three sort of options in our show notes, but those are the things that I found right now. Uh, pop into the Online Course Masters community over at Facebook. Just go to onlinecoursemasters.com, hit the community button, join our free community and post the question to the group. Uh, perhaps someone else has used quizzes. I also know Teachable has their own Facebook group, which would be a good place to ask a question as well. Yeah, very good. The only other thing that I thought about doing, I don't know if you've done this before, is using Google Forms for quizzes. I know that um, mm. you can set up a quiz inside of Google Form. I was pulling it up while you were talking. And it looks like that you can do quite a few things with it. You can have uh, different types of answers, short uh, answer, multiple choice, checkbox, drop, drop downs. Um, you can uh, see summaries from quiz responses, including frequently missed questions, uh, mm. graphs marked with correct answers, and the average, median, and range of scores. Um, and you, it looks like you can do a, a lot. So you might want to check out Google Forms too if uh, you want to do a solution outside of Teachable. It might be something else. That's a good idea. And, and can you embed a Google Form with HTML? I believe you can. Yeah, I believe so. Which would I've never be, done it. But. 
which would mean that you can um, embed it into a a teachable lecture because any teachable teachable mm. allows you to embed HTML. So that might be worth trying. There might be other quiz feet quit like online quiz makers um, that mm-hmm. allow you to do that as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, our next question comes from Jason Dion and Noah Moscovich, and they asked, how do you decide which co-instructors to work with? This should be a good question for you because you've had quite a few co-instructors at this point. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, I'm going to throw that one back to you because you've uh, co-instructed a few courses. We've done courses together. Mm-hmm. What I mean, what would you say to that? I've enjoyed the process. Um, I think that if you find someone that you can mesh with and you can work well with, I think it's it's really great. Um, you might not learn about that until you actually get into it. So it's kind of hard at the beginning. But I would check to see, you know, like I, I reached out to people who already had courses or was already kind of making waves in the online course community. You could start with someone who's a little newer, but without them having a reputation, are they going to stick with it? That might be something that you take into consideration. Um, but I've, I've had a really good experience and I, I enjoy working with co-instructors because you kind of can leverage each other's strengths and weaknesses. And, um, you know, working with you was really great because you would post stuff and I'd get excited and then I'd post stuff and then you'd get excited and post stuff. So you kind of help like build each other up in that way too. Um, but I would just, you know, see what kind of courses they're creating, look at the quality of their courses as a quality kind of on par with your course. I'm always a stickler of, doing a course with someone that might not have the same quality uh, that I look for. And it, it could, the course seems like it jumps a lot because you have a very low quality video and then a very high quality, you can run into those kinds of issues. And then uh, just kind of seeing, you know, how their courses look and if they have any already would be some tips. Yeah, for sure. That's great. I, I would add that for me, I've done a lot of co-instructing, probably over half of my courses are co-instructed. One is that you have to look for people who have either comparable skills or additional skills that you mm-hmm. have. Like for me, I often look for constructors who can teach courses that would benefit my audience, but mm-hmm. things that I don't necessarily know or that I'm an expert in. Uh, so for example, I've instructed courses... Um, with another Jeremy, Jeremy Hazel, who with mm-hmm. um, on courses that are on different photo editing apps that I don't use, but again would benefit my audience. And so that's the one of my main tips is don't just co-instruct a course to create an, an uh, another course. Make sure mm-hmm. it will benefit your audience. Um, yeah, I could. And I've made that mistake in the past where I've gone out and I've tried to make a course work where, you know, I have a an HTML and CSS course with a great instructor who actually was on the show, Nick Walter. And uh, the course came out great, but my audience, it just wasn't right for my audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely make sure it's right for your audience. The other thing is um, it definitely helps if they already have an audience of their own um, because then they can help promote the course as well. And those course launches have already always done better for me is when the co-instructor um, is either on Udemy already or they have an audience somewhere on YouTube or with an email list so that the launch can be good good uh, for both of us. Otherwise, I've, I've 
also done lot constructions with people who have no audience and that's been fine but the expectation and the work split it looks a little bit different in those situations generally for me that instructor is going to be the main instructor of the course um, they'll be teaching most of the lessons and i'll be in charge of most of the promotion and uh just help guidance in coming up with the course content itself. That being said, I like to include myself in all of my courses as much as possible. So for example, I co-taught a, an Adobe Illustrator course with another guest we have on the show, Daniel Walter Scott. And he was the main instructor, but I threw myself in there with some mm -hmm. uh, practice activities and I would actually go through the course myself kind of as a student and then do the activities um, that he had for us as like separate lectures. And the students really like that sort of format. Mm -hmm. And that kind of helps when I'm promoting the courses myself, because if I'm promoting a course and then I'm not in the course at all, sometimes yep. the students can be a little bit disappointed in that. So if you're not in the course at all, at least in, in front of the camera, um, or doing teaching and you're promoting it, just make sure it's clear to your students that there's mm -hmm. someone else that's going to be the main instructor, um, which I've done as well. And that's totally fine. It's just got to be clear when you're promoting it. We have a couple other qu follow-up questions from yep. Jason and Noah. Um, Want to dive into those? Yeah, I wanted to add to that too. Um, it's speaking about, you know, you not being in the course. It, it, it can be really weird if people are seeing you teach and then all of a sudden um, you promote a course, they sign up for it. And a lot of people will sign up because it's you and who you are. And if they sign up for a course and then they see someone else on there, you could get refunds like that if you don't make it clear that you're not in the course. So to counter that, I actually um, went into a production style for a little while where I was helping others produce courses. I wasn't going to be in the courses. And so so what I did was I actually ended up making a second Udemy account that's branded and doesn't have my name on it. And so that way I can kind of use that as an account where if I'm just like doing, you know, the production or the promotion side of things and I'm not in it, I can send, you know, I can have that set separately from my main account. Um, so they were talking about different things like when you co-instruct together, um, how are you going to work out the split? Like who does what? What about the revenue? You know, do you do 50-50? you do it depending on who's doing more work? How do you handle that? And, um, and also what things do you put into place to protect yourself in your courses when working with a co-instructor? So this is really having to do with it. It kind of becomes like a business transaction and you got to be, you got to make sure that everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone has their roles and how do you handle the split and the revenue and, uh, protection? Got it. So for the revenue split, I'm always a fan of just 50-50. I think no matter what the, the, the partnership looks like and who's doing the teaching, who's promoting, I think having a revenue split of 50-50 makes the most sense so that both parties are equally engaged and trying to make this course a success. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that might look like... Um, if I'm co-teaching with someone who's the main instructor of the, of the course, that just means I'm I'm bringing more, I guess, power or my skills with either the promotion or just the marketing coming up with like a landing page, doing things like creating mm -hmm. the promo video and really helping with the structure of the course and things like that. Um, because I have run into some issues with co-instructors when the split... Um, hasn't been equal um 
or if the co-instructor doesn't feel like I am, or if I don't feel like the co-instructor is pulling their weight, um, that's where it can start to get a little, little bit tricky. So in general, I think 50-50 is a good idea, um, just so both parties are happy. But I also like having stipulations that are written down ahead of time so that if things change and uh, say like the expectation is that my co-instructor should be answering questions in the course then and then they stop doing that, then something needs to, to change. Um, so I do like to have everything written out. Ideally, you're doing this in a contract um, that you're both signing. Now, I will be honest, I don't do that with all of my co-instructors. Um, I like being able to trust people without having to, to do contracts, even though uh, I think a contract is probably the best thing to do. But at the very least, I think having it all written out in emails that can be looked back on uh, with what the expectations are, what the revenue split is, and things like that is important. And also, you have to think about not just on Udemy, but what happens off of Udemy. So for most of my co-instructors mm -hmm. now, we agree that on Udemy or any platform that is sort of a third-party platform, we're going to split the revenue 50-50. But for our own platforms, we can each keep 100% of the revenue. And that just makes it easier for us, especially for me mm -hmm. with my membership site. I like to include my courses on videoschoolonline.com in the membership area. But having to split revenue in that model would be really confusing and, and time consuming because mm -hmm. Teachable doesn't have a really good way of doing that um, with the membership. Um, so I, we agree that if it's on your own site, which you're going to be growing and you're going to be promoting and doing all the work to promote, then we each get 100% of the revenue, basically. We can each use the course yeah. um, however we want. So there's things like that that I think are just important to, to write down and have um, either in contract form or at the very least in an email. This episode and all of our episodes are sponsored by the Online Course Masters Academy, the one and only place you need to become an online course master yourself. With over two dozen courses that tackle every aspect of running a successful online course business, a private community of students like you, and bonuses like live office hours and webinar trainings, we've built the Online Course Masters Academy for anyone creating their very first online course and for anyone more advanced looking to increase their business and brand. Visit onlinecoursemasters.com academy to join today. Yeah. And, um, what you said about using it on your own site, um, you want to think ahead about how the course is going to be built because is it, you know, y'all are both teaching the lectures or is one taking one lecture and the other person's taking another lecture. And those are the kind of questions you got to think through, um, that could arise in the future. So when Phil and I did our course together, uh, two courses, we did them in a project based format, knowing that we were going to take those projects out of the course and use them on our own platforms. And so it made it very easy for us to take our half of the course and go promote it, you know, on, various platforms and not have to worry about the revenue split. Um, but I've done courses with others where our courses are a little more integrated in, into the teaching style. And it's a lot harder for me to just take out my part because it doesn't really fit or make sense. Um, a little follow up to this question um, also was um, 
Noah was asking about working with another coworker and they're creating an online course and they're using Zoom to kind of have each other's input um, on the course. Mm. And he says, we would like to share responsibilities on presenting each topic, but would still like the other guy to be present to provide input along the way. We're using Zoom, um, but we feel like there is a better way. So do you have any um, recommendations or any tips that you can give when you're working with someone else, uh, especially you know, if it's long distance and you can't even see them face to face, um, how you go about the process, how you maybe, uh, set up a document or something like that that can keep everyone on track and still get input from each party. Oh, that's a good question. Um, so in ter- it sounds like they're using zoom, which is like a, like a video conferencing, um, tool to actually record the course. Is that what you're getting to? Or are, are they just using that as a way to kind of collaborate so, before recording the actual course? Uh, probably recording the course. We're it, using Zoom for our first course. I think that it sounds yeah. like they're using Zoom. I mean, that's that's an interesting approach. I have seen some courses done that way where it's literally kind of like what we're doing right now. It's two people chatting over video chat and or even just audio and they're teaching i prefer our courses to my co-instructor courses where we each kind of record the course in our own setup and we plan ahead of time where what lessons are going to be taught by what person and then we each just record it sometimes i like having the other person record all of their content first and then I watch that content and then I'll record my lessons so that I'm not like repeating what they're saying. Um, best case scenario, you can be in the same location. A lot of my courses that I co-teach are with friends that we are actually in the same place. We get together, we record it together and that seems to not only look better because it's all cohesive in terms of quality and style, but we're not, again, repeating each other and we can really be collaborating that way. But I would suggest instead of... I I think having some Zoom sort of video chats in the course is fine. I think that could be more of like a longer style lecture where, you know, it's just a conversation-based lecture. But I would create most of the content just where one of you is talking directly to the camera, sharing the main points of the the, the, uh, lesson and then the next lesson would be the other person doing the same. You can bounce back and forth one lesson to one lesson or one person can take an entire section. But I find that when we're talking like this, Jeremy, we go all over the place. And I don't <laughs> think that's necessarily the best for an online class. Yeah. Um, some people might enjoy it, but I think a lot of students will just want you to get to the point. And so I think Mm -hmm. it's better if you're just kind of have your outline or your script and you're talking directly to the people, directly to the camera and teaching that way rather than talking to your co-instructor. So uh, I think it's okay for some lessons, but I would try to split it up where you're each teaching uh, your own lessons too. Yeah, the point of a course is to get someone from point A to point B. They're taking your course because they're trying to level up their career or learn something new. And they don't need a bunch of extra fluff, as we would say, in that course. Now, a podcast like we're talking now is different because this is like if you're driving in your car, you're just listening to your friends have a conversation. Um, But yeah, I I agree. I, I wouldn't have a whole course 
that way either. Do you have real quick before we move on to the next question, do you have any good, um, strategies or tips just for, um, keeping the course, uh, organized and, uh, yeah. you know, keeping, keeping each other on track? Uh, this is different with different people. Generally, I like to set up a Google Drive folder with all, for each of my courses. Within that folder, I'll have a Google Doc for the outline, which we'll collaborate on before we start recording. Um, sometimes that outline is just the lesson titles themselves, the sections and the lessons. Sometimes, And then I'll duplicate that outline and then we'll break it down and actually outline each individual lesson. Depending on the course, sometimes we'll script the lessons, which will all be separate documents in Google Drive in that folder. Sometimes we'll create a slideshow. And so we'll create the slideshow ahead of time. And we do that with Google Slides, which is great because it's all on Google Drive. It's all <laughs> cloud-based and it's mm -hmm. all in one place. And so I, I mean... It's free to use, so it's like, why not use Google Drive? I'm sure there's other options out there. Um, other people sometimes don't even like using Google Drive or Google Docs, and they just want to create the outline directly within Udemy, for example. And so if you're using Udemy, you can just outline the course in the mm -hmm. curriculum section of your course and then just get going that way rather than um, having separate documents and outlines elsewhere. Uh, which can feel like repetitive, but um, yeah, I don't know. Google Drive. <laughs> cool. All right. The next question comes from Ashutosh Pawar, and it is, is giving free coupons away still a good strategy? And the, uh, if you haven't been on Udemy before in the past, um, we used to give lots of free coupons away, provide social proof. So there's a little background of being on the Udemy plat platform back in the day, giving free coupons was a very good way to get a lot of traffic to your course and build up your authority quickly, and then hopefully make some sales. Um, but they want to know, is it still a good strategy? And what about just giving free coupons away in general, whether you're self-hosting or hosting on, you know, teachable thinkific or a place like that i would say on udemy it's not really a good strategy anymore it's hard to control where your free coupons are going to go and a lot of the free coup people who use the free coupons won't even take your course they won't leave reviews and it's just going to be kind of wasted effort and wasted uh students in your course and i just the rankings on udemy they don't work like they used to where yeah you could just mm -hmm. get a bunch of free students and your course would start to rank uh, mm -hmm. that doesn't work anymore so i would definitely say actually giving away a bunch of free coupons is something you should not do anymore <laughs> um, just because the reviews for free coupon users are generally a little bit lower too and so That's you don't, you, you want to get people in your course who are really really interested in your course and that mm -hmm. generally means people who are going to pay for your course. The only time I would give away free coupons is if it's to a very specific group of people who you know are interested in that topic. So if you have an email list of people who are specifically related, interested in your topic, if you have a Facebook group, if you have a YouTube channel and you want to do a little giveaway, I would definitely limit it to, I don't know, even 10, 50, 100 coupons or something like that, that might be a good way to just get people in there, especially if you're starting out as a course creator. If you're launching mm -hmm. a course, you don't have an email list or a lot of other students to promote to. Uh, you have to get students in your course some way. And so that might be a good way to do it. 
this might even be better if you're self-hosting because you can give a free course away or give free coupons to a paid course. And if you're doing using something like Teachable or Thinkific to self-host, whenever someone signs up, you're going to get them on your email list. And so it's a way of building your email list uh, as well, which on Udemy, it's not really doing that. Um, and so I would say off of Udemy, it can work. On Udemy, um, it won't work that well. Um, another alternative it, that I personally have seen work still is just putting a course on Udemy for free and letting it live on Udemy for free and then converting it to a paid course at a later date. Um, I have seen courses start to rank well and faster using this strategy. Uh, I haven't used this strategy in a while, in over a year myself, but um, for new course creators, again, you have to get students some way. And mm -hmm. so that might be uh, a good way to just kind of boost, boost it at the beginning. And at least that way, people are actually searching and finding your course who are interested in the topic. It's not just people who see, oh, free coupon online on Facebook <laughs> or wherever they're, they're looking. And then they just sign up just because it's free, which tends mm -hmm. to happen when you give out free coupons. Yeah. And, and the, the low ratings thing uh, really stinks for whatever reason. When people get free stuff, they tend to give you a worse review about the product than if they use their money to pay for it. And so I've had courses before where I spent a lot of time and effort building out a course, gave away some free coupons. And the third review was like a half a star. And it took me a long time to get out of that hole to yeah. get it back to a good rating where it would actually get on the front pages of the the search terms. Um, so yeah, it's you got to be real careful with the free coupon strategy. Yeah. Cool. All right. The next question is, do you know of any course creators using LinkedIn ads to drive traffic successfully? And let's just talk about ads in general for a minute. Yeah. I mean, for well, I'll say specific to LinkedIn ads, no. Uh, so <laughs> I, I personally don't know anyone. So I'm sorry. Uh, this was someone who submitted a question before we were um, getting their names. So I don't know who asked this. So I apologize. I do know people have asked me this actually frequently the past few months. If LinkedIn is still a good place to grow an audience and grow, uh, promote your courses. And we've spoken to people on this podcast, even an episode recently with uh, Neil Anderson, episode 81, uh, that Neil was using LinkedIn to grow his audience. And he was talking about how it's a great place to find that more professional uh, worker or student who's looking to, to grow, to enhance their career uh, and get skills to enhance their career. But in turn, I don't think he was using LinkedIn ads necessarily. That was just LinkedIn uh, groups and posting. So with ads in general though, I don't know many people who are doing it successfully. I know a lot of people who've tried, especially with cor Udemy courses or lower price courses. I think it's very, very difficult to be profitable. So I would recommend not wasting any money. And unless you have like a ton of play money, you just want to play around with. It can be done, but it usually is only successful for higher priced products. Um, and I know we've had Diego Davila on this podcast and I teach a digital marketing masterclass with him. And he has um, successfully used ads to promote products. And we cover that in the course. 
but generally it's going to be for higher price courses. So I don't know. Do you have any other advice or, or thoughts? I, I don't believe that I've talked to anyone who's ever had major success driving ads directly to a course. But what does work is, or what I understand to work really well, is if you're going to run ads, you should really be running them through a sales funnel. Yeah. Um, something where you're running an ad to maybe give away a lead magnet that drives them into your email list. And then you nurse that email list over time and then sell them the product. But just having an ad up going directly to a course landing page, I don't believe is very successful. Unless maybe you were able to have control of the sales landing page and you were able to put in, you know, video and copy and uh, social proof and those kinds of things that might work. But if you are just trying to drive an ad directly to say a Udemy landing page, um, I don't think you're going to have good luck. And if you're on Udemy and we're talking about Udemy, they spend a lot of money in advertising. I mean, a good chunk of my revenue comes from Udemy advertising as especially in the fall and winter months when they're, you know, we're around the Black Friday and New Year sales, they're driving lots and lots of traffic with advertising. And so if I had a choice of spending time and money on driving ads to a Udemy course or just promoting that course elsewhere, Udemy's ad engine will take over. So I would rather spend that time in creating uh, YouTube videos or making other types of content and driving more people to my landing page. And then Udemy will take over and start promoting with their ads, which are going to be much more effective than me because they have a bigger team, they have a bigger budget, and they can spend more resources on those. Yeah. I will say one thing that I have done that I found works better is... I've sometimes spent money to promote YouTube videos of mine. And I do that with very specific videos that I know will hopefully convert to students, such as I've given away like an hour preview of a course, for example, with my Adobe Premiere Pro course. And then I boost that video, which sometimes it doesn't always work, but it sometimes helps it rank on YouTube. And then from that boost, it continues to to rank well after the boost and uh, just generate a lot more traffic. And I actually have one. So this is not necessarily just because of the paid boost. Um, it could just be cut. It could have happened without that paid boost. It's hard to tell because I boosted it when I launched the video. So if I hadn't done that, I don't know if this video would rank that well for beginner um, um, beginner. Uh, Premiere Pro users, but I have one course I'm um, or one video that's promoting this course for twenty five dollars actually on YouTube. And let me calculate. I, I haven't looked at this in a while, but let me calculate how much money I've made from this one video. I've actually made sixty one hundred dollars from this one video from YouTube. So this isn't through an ad, but this is just from people watching that YouTube video, clicking on that YouTube link or to the course link in that video. And so I've made over $6,000 from that one video and I probably spent a couple hundred dollars to boost it when I launched it. So again, I'm not perfectly tracking this, but um, that's something I've done with different videos as well. This is just the one that's worked out the most for me. So that's one one other idea you can you can do is uh, boosting YouTube videos with um, their Google ads um, as well. 
Yeah, that's that's a good tip. That kind of works like the email list um, advertising strategy because what you're doing is you're building a, re- a reputation with that person before you're just trying to sell them right away. Mm-hmm. So in, in Phil's case, he's sending them to a very good video that is kind of showing you know what he teaches and everything that he knows about it. And then as people like that, they can click on the link and go, go buy the course. So that's a great idea. All right. Our last question comes from Tan Dada which is what are the future of humanities and self-help courses? Are they going to be dominated by the programming, marketing, and other tech courses? Hmm. That's a great question. I'm interested interested to hear what you think, but I I think the way, the, the issue isn't that they're like dominated by these other courses, because of course there's people that are going to be interested in humanities and self-help courses. I think it's just that the different platforms, uh, some platforms are more programming, marketing, tech, mm-hmm. like um, those are, they're just um, like Udemy, for example, it, they are dominated by those types of courses and that's the type of student um, that goes to Udemy. Of course, there's probably thousands, if not millions of students that are interested in self-help courses going to Udemy as well, but more people are interested in the tech courses. I would say that that since online courses are just becoming more and more popular, people are it's not like people fewer people are interested in self-help courses or that topic. It's just uh, depends on the 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 platform you're on. And um, yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so when you when you talk about a, a place like Udemy, Udemy does really good in marketing, programming, tech, design, uh, and business courses. They don't do so well with DIY and craft type courses. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't make money. We've had you know people on the podcast before, uh, Teresa Greenway, who made uh, money in bread baking. I mean, yeah. so that's a very niche course that you wouldn't expect to do well on Udemy, but she was driving a lot of traffic there. And so Udemy's like main focus is usually around the business programming and tech kind of courses. Um, but then when you look at a, a platform like, say, Skillshare, Skillshare doesn't, I don't think, do really good in programming because yeah. they're more kind of design based and DIY and crafts. And so it really does de- depend on the actual market. Now, if you're self-hosting, I think that any course could probably do well yeah. as long as you found the right audience and the right price point. Um, however, you you do have to take other things into consideration. Um, if someone's taking, a, uh, one person's taking a self-help help course, um, it might be maybe a lower price course. Whereas if someone's taking a business course, maybe like an Excel course, you might have a business by a hundred courses for their employees. And so there are going to be some markets that might be spending more money than other markets. But I honestly believe that you could probably make a course on just about anything and find the audience who are willing to pay for that information. I think that's a, yeah, that was a better (laughs) explanation (laughs) of it is that some, yeah, there are some topics where people are willing to spend more money on them or more people are willing to spend money on them. Because I think there's there's students who are willing to spend money on probably any topic yeah. and a lot of money on it. People, there's There are people who are going to spend thousands of dollars on a single course that teaches them how to paint or that teaches them how to be more positive or, you know, any other self-help topic. 
but the number of people who are interested in paying for a course that teaches them a skill like programming right now in today's age, there's probably more people, especially just in the inter- international audience. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that's just, yeah, that's key is finding the, the platform um, where if you are a humanities or self-help teacher, finding a platform that caters to that audience a little bit better is important. Or if there's not a platform for you is self-hosting and building your own audience and doing mm-hmm. it that way. Yep. Very good. Awesome. Well, those were great questions. Thank you for everyone who submitted a question. Um, if you have a question of your own, we've added a button on the website. So go to onlinecoursemasters.com, go to the podcast page. And if you have a question, just click that ask us a question button and submit your question. If you also want to be on the show as a guest, or if you think of anyone else who should be featured as a guest, you can post a question there or there's a button for be a guest to be a guest on the show and you submit your information. And uh, yeah, we really want to make this show about you and cater to to our audience. So that's why we want to get more questions. So thank you for any future questions. As always, we want people to leave reviews. So if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening, stop right now please just leave a review. We, we only have a handful of reviews on all of these platforms and we know there's a lot more people listening to the show. So we know a lot of you listening right now, I'm talking to you, have probably <laughs> not left a review. Thank you though to Paint Player who left a review on iTunes that's, who said, and he said, he or she said, such great content. This podcast has... Such great content. You know that it's good when it's coming from people in the dirt and not just in the clouds. I love that. So thank you, Paint Player, for leaving that review. Jeremy, thank you for being here. It's been a pleasure as always. And uh, we'll catch you next week. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, make sure you check out onlinecoursemasters.com for show notes, to enroll in our academy, and to join a free community of fellow course creators who can help you out. Also, if you're brand new to teaching online, check out our free five-day course creation challenge. It's the perfect way to jumpstart your online course business. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate your support for the show. Now it's time to get to work. So go make some online courses and help us teach the world.